Well, it is uh, good to be with you all tonight. I think it honors the Lord when we are able to come together as the churches of Fargo and do work together. Uh, I'm going to pray for us and then we'll jump in. Father God, thank you so much for this opportunity to join with your people and to give thanks for all your mighty works. Uh, God, as we come into this Thanksgiving holiday season, uh, Lord, I pray that we would remember where all of our Thanksgiving is owed, and it's to you. God, as we lift up our thanks, may our thanks be lifted up to you. Make us the type of people who you want us to be, the type of people who give thanks for everything and in all things. God, we love you and we praise you. Amen. Amen. Well, the, uh, the name for the, the supper that the Lord instituted for his people goes by various names. Some people just simply call it the Lord's Supper. Uh, at our church, we call it communion. Uh, but other traditions call it the Eucharist. And uh, I found it really interesting that the Eucharist actually comes from the Greek words that mean to give thanks. That the meal in which we are to celebrate as a church community is the meal in which we are to give thanks. Now, of course, the giving of thanks that we're giving specifically when we partake in the Eucharist is we're giving thanks for the indescribable gift of God, of His Son to us. That through Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension, sinners like Blake Farley can have relationship and union with a holy God. But that kind of thanksgiving ought to overflow out of us into all of life. As Christians, we are required, we are called to be the type of people who are overflowing with thanksgiving. Yes, it starts with that thanksgiving to God for that indescribable gift, but it should flow into all of life. There are these crazy verses in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul says these things. I preached on Ephesians 5.20 this morning with our church family. But I also want to read 1 Thessalonians 5.18, which says, Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And Ephesians 5.20, which I mentioned earlier, says, Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, one of the key commands that we have as Christians, if you're here tonight and you say, I want to follow Jesus, one of the things you've got to learn how to do is to give thanks in all scenarios. Now, that's something we can say amen to. It's something I can preach from a microphone. That's actually really hard to live out in life, is it not? I mean, when I'm in traffic and somebody's in the left lane, it's hard for me to give thanks for all things because they're supposed to be in the right lane so I could pass them. You know, and that's a small thing. So how do we do this? And I think tonight, this is what I'm framing my sermon around, and uh, it's going to be short because I know you all are ready for dinner. Uh, but, but what I'm framing my sermon around is this kind of curriculum, if you will, of building our thanks. So if you want to be the type of person that gives thanks in all things, here's the place to start, the elementary level. And by the end of it, we'll get to graduate school, which is where some of us maybe are, but I'm going to bet most of us are probably still at the elementary level of giving thanks. Now, when the Bible talks about giving thanks, I would consider the elementary level, the place to start, if you want to be the type of person who gives thanks in all things, is we begin thanking God for all the good things that are already in our lives. In other words, we begin to see the things that other people just kind of see as things, and we say, no, they're not just things. They're things we ought to thank God for. It's the attitude the psalmist has in Psalm 104, verses 13 through 15. Look at how he recognizes God and what other people would call just natural things. It says, he, being God, waters the mountains from his palace. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of your labor, God. He causes grass to grow for the livestock and provides crops for man to cultivate, producing food from the earth, wine that makes the human heart glad, making his face shine with oil, and bread that sustains the human hearts. In other words, we ought to be people who are grateful for our food to God. 
And so as you go in there and you eat this great food after this, don't just say thank you to the person who prepared it, but thank God that he gave you taste buds so that you could taste it. Thank God next time you're eating a ribeye steak that God made the cow taste as good as it does. I mean, when you look at a cow, do you think that's going to taste good? How can you not believe in a God when you see a cow and then you taste the ribeye? I just don't see how atheism even plays into it there. We ought to thank God that he would do these things for us. When we go to the doctor and the doctor gives us medicine and we get better, we ought to thank the doctor, but we should thank God that he would give the doctor the brain to be able to do it. We would thank God that he would be able to give us the way to make medicine that makes us better. In all things, we're giving thanks to God. You know, this year uh, I became a father in October, so my, my baby's just barely over a month old now, and the whole thing is so miraculous. And uh, I know that you can explain it naturally to me. Like, you could get out a science textbook, and you could show me how she was formed in the womb. I don't care. It's still a miracle. It is absolutely amazing. And I don't want to just give thanks to nature and science. I want to give thanks to the God of nature and science, who made a way for this beautiful baby to be created and crafted in the womb of my wife. And now she is here with us as her own unique individual God-bearer. And I think that is very cool. And so what I've got to do is be the type of person that disciplines myself, because it is discipline to always return thanks to God and to not take anything for granted. And so maybe that's where you are. You can zone out the rest of the sermon. If you're ready to start at the elementary level, when you're eating your pecan pie in a minute, thank God for pecan pie. That's what I will be doing. The second level, we'll call this the high school level. The first level was elementary. The second level is the high school level. And this is when we begin to thank God for the people in our lives. We begin to say, God, I thank you for this person that you've put in my life. Uh, Because what can often happen with the people in our lives is we begin to take them for granted. They become like a fixture that we just kind of assume will always be there. In your marriage, you've probably experienced this. If you've been married for any length of time, there are many things you just kind of take for granted. Uh, last week, my wife was out of town on a Saturday evening because she went to a wedding in Oklahoma City. And uh, I realized how much I take my wife for granted. You know, for instance, when it came time for supper, I had the thought, I have to feed myself. <laughs> so I called my grandma. <laughs> but how often do we take the people in our lives for granted? And we ought not do that. Students, if you're here today, when is the last time you thanked your teacher? For teaching the lesson, you ought to thank them and thank them out loud that they spent their time crafting a lesson plan and that they showed up to be there for you. Because I promise you, it was not easy for your teacher to do that every day. And so if we can get into the habit of thanking them, thanking our parents and thanking our children when they do something, thanking people for the things we haven't thanked them for in a very long time. In the context of our churches, you ought to thank the worship leader or the pastor who put the service together. Thank them for doing it. Thank the preacher for preaching a message. And you should do it even when it's not a good message. You should probably do it especially when it's not a good message. Thank the people in your lives because what happens when we begin to thank people is we begin to create a culture of thanksgiving. And that's the kind of culture we want. Now, when you walk into a place where everybody is complaining and nobody is grateful, is it a place you want to be? No, it's a place that sucks the life out of you. But when you walk into a place where everybody is grateful for one another, they're trying to outthink each other. Thank you. No, no, thank you. No, thank you. It's a kind of place that is attractive. We want to be a part of it because it's life-giving when we come into those places. This is what you should want for your families, parents. Uh, fathers and mothers, you ought to be showing this culture of gratitude by thanking one another and thanking your children so that your house becomes a place of thanksgiving because that is a home that your children are going to love and people are going to find attractive. In our churches, let us be people who are thankful so that people come into our churches. They say there is something unique and different about this place. 
And then what happens is we as these thankful people go out into the community and slowly but surely, it's like this leaven in the bread, the thanksgiving begins to rise in our culture and we begin to affect change at the individual level because we're the type of people who aren't going to complain. We're the type of people who are going to look for a reason to be thankful. It's really hard to be mad and divisive when I'm thanking you. I have to complain to get divisive. And I think a lot of church splits and a lot of problems in communities happen because people go from being thankful to taking things for granted to complaining. Let us not be those types of people. This is the high school level. I know it's difficult. It's a lot easier to thank God for pecan pie rather than your neighbor Jerry who keeps you know, playing the music too loud each night. If you're Jerry, I'm sorry. It just came to my head. This is the high school level. It's a little bit more difficult. But maybe that's where you are tonight. That you could thank God for the people in your life, and you could thank those people. Now, the third level, the graduate level, if you were, if you will, this is the really hard part. This is where the for everything really comes into play. And this is when I begin to thank God in my afflictions and even for my afflictions from time to time. In my afflictions and for them. Those things that I want to avoid, the suffering, the pain in my life. Could I get to the point where I thank God for what he was doing in those things, the psalmist understands this in Psalm one nineteen seventy one. Psalm one hundred nineteen seventy one, in the good old King James version, says, "It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes." When's the last time you said, "God, thank you for afflicting me"? It was good that I was afflicted. Uh, be honest, I, I haven't prayed that prayer in a very, very long time. I'm the type of guy who likes to avoid afflictions. It made me upset that I had to walk from my car into here because I don't like the cold. I'm not the type of person that seeks out afflictions. And the Bible's not saying that you ought to seek out afflictions. We're not like people go, yippee, I'm ready to suffer. No, but it's if I am in suffering, it must be because my good heavenly father sent it my way so that I might learn something. And I can thank him for that. And now you might ask, how, Blake? How could I be a grateful, thankful person in the midst of my affliction? And I've only got a short amount of time to say it, and this is graduate level, so I realize it's, it's difficult. And I just want to say, if you're suffering here tonight, I just want to weep with you. Uh, but for those of us who are not in a time of suffering, this is to prepare you, because you will be in a time of suffering before long. And there's two ways that I think we remain grateful in our suffering. The first one is we must trust in God. We have to trust that God is doing something. This is exactly what James says in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. He says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Which is just a crazy verse on its own. But James goes on to tell us why we ought to count it joy. He says, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. In other words, James says the key to having joy and thanksgiving in your suffering is to trust that God is doing something. Now, you won't always see it. In fact, you don't see it Why it's happening. You have to trust that God is doing it. And then after you get through the suffering, you look back on it and you go, man, I would never want to go through that again. But I can see how God grew me. I can see how God made me a more forgiving person, a more humble person, a more loving person. I can see what God was doing in that. And when you're in the suffering, you just have to trust in faith that God is doing something like that in you and in those around you. So we trust in God, and the second thing we must do is when we're in our afflictions, we have to hope in God. Our hope is set not in our afflictions, but in what is to come. This is what Romans 8.18 says. Paul, again, writing this, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. He says, in other words, don't focus on your sufferings. Look out ahead to what is to come in Christ Jesus. And, you know, this isn't a lot different than the way I consider uh, working out or the gym uh, or running even. I'm not going to do it unless there's some kind of prize in it for me. My wife is a a different kind of character. She works out for fun. 
I don't know what's wrong with her, but evidently something. She's not here tonight, so I can say whatever I want. I am only going to work out if there is a reason for it. In fact, uh, last October, uh, I ran two half marathons in one day. I ran my first one and my last one. I did. I did it all. I did the whole 13.1 mile half marathon because my wife said she was going to do it. And uh, so I said, you know what? I, I can't just let you do it and show me up. So I've got to do it. Now, my wife finished a whole hour ahead of me. Uh, my time was very, very slow. But you know what? I finished. And you know why I finished? Well, these same reasons. I had trust that if I kept going on the same path, if I kept putting one foot in front of another, that I would get there eventually. And I had hope that when I got there and I crossed the finish line, I'd be very proud of myself and what I had done. Now, now there was one point that gave me a little extra motivation, and that was when a 70, I'm not kidding you guys, 76-year-old woman in a neck brace, her, her neck was like this, passed me on the path. <laughs> I thought, nope, this is not how, I would die before this lady beats me. But for the most part of the half marathon, I ran based upon trusting that the next step was going to lead me a little bit closer and having hope in what was to come at the finish line. Friends, the Christian journey is not much different than this. In fact, this actually brings us full circle back to where we begin with the Eucharist. Because in our affliction, we remember that it was Christ who endured on our behalf. And that his endurance makes it possible for us to love the Father. It's through his endurance that we were given the Spirit, ultimately, so that we would be empowered for this life. That as we go through these afflictions and we go through these things, friends, isn't it a comfort to know we are not alone? That we have Jesus with us, his presence with us, and we experience that presence in a very special and unique way in his church and his people. And I think that is a powerful, powerful gift. Now, I'm going to get us a little bit closer to the meal, and uh, I just want to remind you again of the elementary level, and that is to enjoy the food that we are about to eat. And you can even do the second level and thank the people who prepared it and thank God for them. Let me pray, and then I will continue on with the service. Father God, thank you so, so very much for each of these souls that are here tonight. God, I don't believe it's an accident that they are here. Uh, God, I believe that you want to encourage them in some way. God, you, you want to stir in their hearts thanksgiving for you. God, for those who maybe have realized that uh, they've become more of complainers rather than people who are thankful, I pray that you'd stir in their hearts to begin to give thanks, because the way we become thankful is by giving thanks. And God, I praise you and I thank you for those people in our lives who are thankful, for those people who bring life to our churches and lives to homes and lives to our community. God, may we become more like those people. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. Amen.